Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit PhotographersEdit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we are back for another episode, and you may hear a smile in my voice because I'm excited actually today to have this conversation with Melissa, particularly, and I mentioned this, Melissa, on, on Instagram stories earlier, you like to use lots of emojis in your, your emails, it seems. I, yes, I think I'm overly enthusiastic with my communication in general. <laughs> I, no, I think it's a good thing. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I don't tend to be over the top type personality, at least very often. I think sometimes if I've had extra caffeine, maybe I, I get a little carried away. But one of the things that I do tend to be a little over the top in is my, my communication process and particularly via text, you know, email or text messages or otherwise. I, I'll use, I tend to use quite a few exclamation points and I use emojis because I want the person on the other end of the communication to actually feel something from me. Yes, and feel comfortable, which you can kind of lose in the dryness of a text or an email. Yeah, exactly. And so when I, when I get an email now with you know, no exclamation points. And I realize I'm kind of over the top with it, but I'm like, oh, did, is that person just like not excited to have a conversation with me or what's going on here? <laughs> yes, yes. So anyway, I, I had to bring that up because I thought it was really great. I'm like, oh, this is, I, I already sense a really great energy about Melissa because she likes to throw those emojis into the communication. And you know, this is as funny as it is, I think it's also a good reminder for all of us that in, in an attempt to connect in a better way with our clients or potential clients or our business partners or otherwise, just just make the extra effort, a little bit of effort to throw a bit of energy into the conversation, whether you're talking, actually talking out loud or you're sending a text message. I think it, I think it can make a big difference in the relationship. So I, I like that we're starting off the conversation that way. Uh, something else that you mentioned to me um, earlier, kind of in passing, as you and I were chatting before I hit the record button is, uh, you're on the other side of the world, literally. Let, let our listeners know where you're calling in from. Yeah, so I'm calling in from Perth in Western Australia, the side that most people don't get to when they come to visit Australia. And it's almost my bedtime here. So um, I'm, I've had lots, as you said, I've had lots of caffeine so that I can be ready for tonight. <laughs> well, and I appreciate you making making this work as far as the time is concerned, and we won't keep you too long. So let's add to that point, actually, let's just jump right into the questions. We normally start off the podcast with a conversation about brand position. And uh, I, I already know I'm going to kind of break the fourth wall. You and I were chatting about this before we started recording. You have kind of an interesting take on this. So I would normally ask you, what is your photography business's brand position? But what, what would your response be to that? Yeah, I've I've been thinking about this as I've been listening to all of your podcasts. So uh, the tagline for Melissa's photography is relaxed, natural and intimate. But as a bit of a like contentious opinion, I don't necessarily think that I have a unique brand position or a unique value position. You know, obviously there's there's one me, but when I think about like my closest colleagues in the wedding photography community, we are almost well, 
interchangeable in the fact that if a client didn't go with me, they would get a fantastic similar experience with a lot of my colleagues and and I'd be happy for them. You, you know, like I don't think, I think that we can, it's okay to be similar because there's enough people around. I don't know. I feel like that's a contentious first thing to talk about. No, I, contentious is, is uh, I, I, I think we could stand to have a little bit more of that on the podcast to create some interesting <laughs> conversation. Uh, but the thing that you'd mentioned to me actually before we started, I mean, you were talking about how you've got, I guess we could call them, for lack of a better phrase, backup photographers, right? If if you're if yeah. you're not available for some reason to shoot a wedding, that you have other photographers that will be there to to back you up, and that your your work is relatively similar and in a sense interchangeable. Is is that how you feel about it? Yes, yeah, definitely. So I call it the the just in case of emergency clause. So if I break my leg. The day before somebody's wedding, we've set up sort of amongst the five of us that we're each other's just in case of emergency. So I could ring and say, look, I break my leg. I'm in hospital, but I've got this wedding tomorrow. Can you shoot it? And like 10 years, I've not needed to activate it. And only twice have I needed to step in. But like it works, like people, the, the people are still really happy because they know that we're similar personalities. We shoot the same sort of style. Um, we edit the same sort of style. And yeah, like it, you know, it, it didn't really matter that it wasn't me or it wasn't the original person because our brand isn't that unique. So uh, this is, and I, I said to you before, again, that we started recording that this is an interesting point of conversation and a bit ironic because we spend a lot of time on the podcast talking about brand position, largely because there is little conversation about it in the industry. Um, you know, photographers will launch a brand and they'll, I mean, it, it actually, Melissa, you, you mentioned earlier that you, these three words, relaxed, natural, and intimate. This was something for quite some time, actually, that was really popular. Photographers would pick three words to kind of represent their brand. Uh, unfortunately, many times you would hear a lot of the similar words used. So that in and of itself didn't really differentiate the photographer. Uh, regardless, brand position isn't a conversation that, that happens in the industry much. And the reason I think that is potentially problematic is because we have a very noisy industry and a very no noisy world at large, really, within which we have to create some distinction as a business owner. If there are thousands and thousands of photographers who can very easily just pick up a camera, start shooting and, and put a website together within, I mean, a day, really, you could launch a business in a day these days with the technology yes. that we yes. have then what makes that photographer any different? Or more specifically, why would somebody, as they're browsing the internet, choose them over anyone else? Now, we've had conversation uh, at length at this point about the significance of the individual. You mentioned that or alluded to that a second ago. Uh, but outside of that, the reason that, that brand position even matters is for somebody who does not know who you are. If they're doing a search on Instagram or they're doing a search on the web, uh, or potentially on Facebook, if they land on your website, and, and by the way, I'm not speaking specifically to you, Melissa, this yeah, is yeah. for everybody listening in, if they land on your website, or they land on your Facebook page, or your Instagram page, within three seconds, let's say, they can look at a quick tagline and know, or a position statement more ideally, and know exactly what it is that you offer that is different than the hundreds or thousands of other search results that they are about to see. Now, at the end of the day, I think you actually have a really great point, Melissa, which is that most of us, our, our styles or, or even our quality, skill levels, 
they don't really significantly differ. And not only that, but 98% of our clients or potential clients likely won't actually know the difference between you know, the skill set of this particular photographer or that photographer because they don't have an eye for it. So there is some irony in that we spent a lot of time on this because at the end of the day, if they have the opportunity to connect with you as an individual, it really doesn't matter what your brand position is. But the purpose of a brand position up front uh, and I'm so glad that you've brought this up, Melissa, is just very simply so that you're able to stand out above the noise when that person is initially searching for you. So yes. I, I love this as just as a conversation point because you make great points about the the insignificance, in a sense, of that brand position when it comes down to the actual working experience with a client. The significance of it is is actually to do with that initial search and standing out. Yes, definitely, definitely. And that your work... I think resonates with who you are so that that meshes so that when people look at your work, they go, okay, that makes me feel like this. And then when I meet you, I still feel like this, but more. Uh, and that's a great fit for what we want. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and again, that, that plays into the, the significance of the opportunity to actually interact with the person. But in most cases, they don't have, they don't have the opportunity to do that, right? The initial yes, connection with the brand definitely. is online or it's via social media. So if they quickly look at your work, yeah, they may be drawn to your work and that's a wonderful thing. But in that, that little bio, can you sum up, and again, this is not about you specifically, Melissa, can any of our listeners sum up what their brand does that is actually unique? You know, we, we've had so many conversations about the significance of the relationship. That's no longer unique. That's not a distinct yes. brand position. Um, if I'm able to say, and I've used this example a number of times, uh, but if I'm able to say I am a black and white wedding photographer who caters to skateboarders, well, I've immediately narrowed, way, way, way narrowed down the field of potential clients. And that person is either going to want to work with me or not want to work with me. Because, of course, the reality is most people aren't active skateboarders and most people probably don't want all black and white photography. I've immediately created a niche and my target client is going to be much more specific. And now my marketing efforts are going to be much more specific. So this is and that's yes. just one example, but this is the significance and ironically, the insignificance of the brand position. And I'm so glad that you approached the conversation from this angle. Yeah. I, I, yeah, totally agree. And I want to keep going here for the sake of time because uh, I know it's close to your bedtime. <laughs> so let's <laughs> let's talk about um, the piece of advice that you would most quickly give to a fellow photographer. Uh, if you had 15 seconds, like what what is the most important lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur so far? Oh, it probably sounds really like like a mum. It's be grateful. Mm. for what you've got it you're very lucky to have a business that you love that is doing well and to when you're grateful that reflects on you and the the work that you do and set boundaries i think is probably the other thing interesting okay so gratefulness thankfulness this is one of my values it's something that i want to continue to live out even more effectively and then boundaries let's start with the gratefulness how do you i mean have you had a personal experience as an individual or as a business owner that has made you that much more grateful or thankful or realize the significance of this principle probably so i um, went to uni to do physiotherapy before i was a photographer so you guys call them physical therapists i think and just for further context, for anybody curious what a uni is, that's university. So I'm giving context oh, for our American yeah. listeners. <laughs> um, so I get, you know, I, and I have actually gone back to doing one day a week yeah. as a physical therapist um, in the disability sector. And, I, you know, like that is chalk and cheese to the wedding industry. And it 
constantly reminds me how lucky I am to to walk for one thing, <laughs> but to be in an industry that's so full of love and excitement and prettiness and you know such a positive time of your life, and that for me to be at those people's weddings and capturing their weddings. I am lucky. Like that is an amazing thing that I can say hmm. earns my money for my family. Yeah. Perspective but, is everything, I, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yep. Hmm. And then talk to me about boundaries as well. How, what's been your personal experience with this idea of creating boundaries? Well, um, my kids, I guess, is probably the most obvious and the main thing that still really drives me. Sure. Is that I want to spend time with them. I love spending time with them and my family and my friends and yeah yes I love my business I love my clients and it earns me the money that I need to live but that's it it earns me the money that I need to live my life which is most importantly my family and my friends Hmm. yes it's relationships in the end I I, this may be a bit of a simplistic um, way to look at it but I actually have this written down I wrote this down some time ago that that life is a game and and it really, I mean, most of life does seem like a game in the end, but it's just this kind of funny construct. Most of the things that we do on a daily basis, including our, our so-called jobs or our work, is a bit of a construct in the end. When you take all of that out of the picture, what you have left is relationships. And it's something yeah. that we all share in common. And if, if we let that, that so-called game kind of get in the way of connecting with the significant people in our life, we're missing out. I mentioned this in a in a podcast interview that I did just yesterday, but you know I, I follow somebody named Gary Vaynerchuk. A lot of people know who Gary is, and he's quite an inspiration as an entrepreneur, particularly with his work ethic. But he he makes known to the world that he's spending, I mean, probably sixty to eighty hours a week working, potentially more, and that he only spends the weekends with his family. And th- this works for him. He's been able to kind of justify in his mind for one reason or another. But the idea that you just kind of skirt your closest relationships for the sake of what is kind of a game in the end, um, running a business, is I think that's just kind of a sad thing. You're, you're missing out. So I love the significance of uh, that, that you emphasize of boundaries. How old are your kids? Six and nine. Six and nine. That's, that's lovely. And I have to say, I, there are, my kids are 17 and 14, and, and, they've, I, and I've hit this phase where I'm like, man... If, if only I had the six and nine-year-old versions of the kids again, partially because I, I, I realize now um, and I appreciate even more now the, the type of interactions that I can have with kids who are a bit more innocent in nature. But then, of course, you learn as you, as you continue to parent too. And you're like, oh, man, if, if I had done this thing or that thing, all I would say is soak up the younger years because they seem to go fast and, and things change a lot. <laughs> Oh man, I'm already starting to see it. But I, as you said, like I'm so lucky. This is a time where they're fun and they're interested to learn new things, and yeah. they still like hanging out with us. Mm-hmm. And I just think, man, I want to be there for as much of that as I can. Yeah, it's it's important. The engagement level is is so important. I'm actually as soon as we get done with this interview here, I'm taking my kids to lunch, and we're just going to sit and chat. Um, I was out of town for a few days, and. Um, and, and I, I want the opportunity to be able to, to connect with them and have those conversations. I'm lucky in that my teenagers, freshmen and seniors in high school are, are still willing to have conversation with me and engage with me. And, and I'm lucky in that, but yeah, we got to make time for relationships. And, and again, I appreciate you 
highlighting that that what seems like an obvious fact but one that um, we don't necessarily live so obviously and it's a, it's a good reminder talk to me about time though and this is very relevant how do you make time for not only yourself but but also obviously for your family for the significant people in your life um, despite the fact that you're running a business and are also a therapist just from a recent episode i can't remember her last name she talked about copy making copy for photographers so that we actually said what we wanted quickly yeah 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 (laughs) she talked about and I was like oh yes that's exactly it she said however long you give yourself to take like for a task that's how long it takes Mm. I'm like yep that's me that's me in winter when I think oh I'm going to catch up on all these things and do all these things I just dawdle around but in summer like weddings because we're very summer peak season I'm guessing it's probably the same in lots of other parts of America. Sure, sure. I just do it. So I'll say yes to the functions. I'll say yes to doing stuff with the kids. I'll try and squeeze in camping when I can, knowing that I have to get it done on the days that I'm not doing fun stuff. So there's no distractions. Email gets switched off. Wi-Fi gets switched off. And I do it because I have to, because I let myself have that fun. So I have to knuckle down and do it. Yeah, there's there's a funny. Uh, by the way, the the episode that you mentioned is episode two ninety with Jess Jordana, and um, she's talking about captivating, converting, cloning your ideal client with copy. Yeah, we were talking about the significance of of copy on a website, but this when we do create those parameters, and you talked about the significance of boundaries, when you create those boundaries or those parameters for our time, it's it's amazing what can get done. I have kind of a a sick version of this myself. There's, I have a tendency sometimes to put things off, which just naturally for- forces me to have to work fast <laughs> at at the end of the day. But but I have found I mean, even last night I had to get a little bit of extra work in uh, before my day was done, and I, I essentially gave myself an hour to get that work done. And and it's interesting how much more efficiently you can work when you're like, all right, I've got this time. I need to get to bed. I need to unwind and get to bed and get some good sleep. I've got this much time and it naturally just kind of forces you to work a little bit more quickly. And um, that, that really, really makes a big difference. Do you do this throughout your week with, or is it with certain tasks that you don't like as much? Is it all the time thing? No, it's when I, when it's, when I'm on for wedding season, I'm on. So I've got like a pretty set workflow and then I make sure that I get that done because you you can't have a backlog really. Like you can't fall behind in peak season. So my workflow is efficient. I make sure that I do the right things and then I turn off and, and, and leave. That's good. Um, when I'm done. That's good. I yep. love the simplicity of that, but it's so important to do. Talk to me about a book, maybe a, a business or self-help book, maybe a podcast oh, even that you've read or listened please. to that's made a big impact. Um, so I've got two books that I love that oh, aren't business books. Yeah. Um, they're not, but they are books that make me live my life better so that I have a better business, I think. Mm. It's, um, and they're both Australian books. One is Boy Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton, who's a journalist for the main paper in Australia. Okay. And it just, you know when you read a book and it makes you feel so much that it just pops into your head for ages afterwards. And still, for me, that book does that. Wow. Boy Swallows Universe. Oh, and what's the premise of the book? It's It's his it's his story of his growing up and he had a really tough growing up mm. experience. But he t- he just, I mean, like really tough, but he describes that book as a love story to his family. Wow. Um, and I was just reading an interview that he was giving about and he was saying that every lost soul can be found again and 
it just, oh, you just read that book and you go, I am going to live my best life and I'm going to help everyone I know to do that too. Mm, mm-hmm. And it, and that then makes me do better when I go to a wedding to say, I'm going to be the best I can today because if I do this really well, this is their photos of their wedding day. And so it makes me switch on and go, do good. I love it. Do good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the focus on, on serving others and making that a priority, it's it's amazing how at the end of the day, like we can talk about brand position, for example, all day long, but at the end of the day, if we're, if we're focusing on serving our clients, uh, the experience that we create for them through that, uh, and, and for that matter, uh, the significant people in our life, for our family, our, our friends, yes. uh, this has been a, a humbling experience for me and, and a wonderful one at that. Uh, I've, I've been in a relationship with uh, my girlfriend now for some time, and her name is Jill, and, and Jill has really taught me the significance of, or helped me learn the significance of service and what it means more specifically what it means when you're in a relationship with somebody who mutually has a desire to serve and and that's the focus it makes all the difference in a in the world in a relationship where both people are trying to take care of the other person um when when it's when there's an imbalance in that way then you can run into potential problems but this carries over to our relationship our business relationships as well with our clients with our partners or otherwise that the focus on service makes all the difference in the world and, and this I, I love the title boy swallows universe this is very interesting and and we'll link to this in the show notes for everybody listening in it's it's a beautiful book and i i love you talk about service and serving a lot in your podcast and i really like that you don't so i think sometimes to serve can have a negative connotation of, yeah. of being submissive right and and i never get that when you talk about it that i get it in that I genuinely want to help and that as you said, that reciprocal nature of it is yes. amazing. Oh, it's 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 lovely. And it's amazing too what will happen. I mean, I think that it's easy for us, and I'm certainly I've been guilty of this, to kind of hold back on that level of service because you're you're afraid of or concerned that the other person or the other people aren't going to reciprocate that. And and the reality is they may not always, and that's okay. Yeah. I think you know living yeah, yeah. living the principle of service consistently is important regardless. But yeah, it, it, in many cases, I think it might actually surprise somebody who is apprehensive that you just put the effort and the energy out there to serve somebody, to take care of somebody, to show them kindness. Uh, it will likely yeah. come back, and in some cases, yes. maybe even in a surprising way. So again, a, a good reminder. You said there was a second book. What is that? Uh, so the second book is called Any Ordinary Day, which is by another journalist um, who she's a, a TV re- reporter. She does a, a report and she her book, she kind of taglines it, is resilience and what happens after the worst day of your life. So she met all these people in the course of her work who had had terrible things happen to them. Mm. But then she found that these people were so full of hope and humor and resilience and, and gratitude and she was like, why is that? So she wrote a book about it's part people's stories and it's part research about what happens to people after they have a traumatic event. And that really kind of, I read that book after I did a wedding for this amazing man and his amazing wife. So Sean got attacked by a shark when he was surfing and lost part of both arms. Wow. And his wife um, helped resuscitate him and save him on the beach and then He's now a motivational speaker and I met him. I was photographing a corporate gig that he was presenting at hmm. and I came home from his presentation blown away by how amazing this man was and how he took a traumatic experience and made his life better after it. 
And you see that in weddings a lot, like it, not necessarily something as big as that, but, you know, people that don't have their dad at their wedding or, or you know, people have traumatic events in their life. And But how often people become, oh, their perspective changes and they become more grateful or more focused on what makes them feel good. And and that book was really kind of clarified what I felt like I kept seeing at my weddings. Hmm. I, I love I love how you take um, an opportunity to gain perspective, and then you actually do something with it. You know, it's it's nice to talk about inspiring stories or to hear an inspiring speaker, and like, oh, that was great, and and you know, I got goosebumps. But and I, then we walk away, and we don't actually do a whole lot with it. And I have a lot of respect, Melissa, for the, the what seems to be your reality, which is that you hear these these stories, you gain this perspective, and then you do something with it. And I, I mean, I'm I'm already to borrow, I guess, a slightly cliche word. I'm already inspired from our conversation today, but largely because of that energy and the fact that you're obviously taking what you're learning and applying it to your life personally and professionally. Um, and I think this is a good reminder for us as well. But I'm, we're going to make sure to to link to both Boy Swallows Universe and Any Ordinary Day, kind of different types of books than we normally hear on the podcast, which I love. And we'll put this in the show notes. It's at Boca, B-O-K-E-H, podcast.com. And, and, you know, I should already give more context than, than I have. I mean, we mentioned that, that Melissa is in the Australian market in Perth, uh, but her website is melissasphotography.com.au. And we'll link to that in the show notes. Instagram is Melissa's Photography Perth. Also, we will link to that in the show notes uh, for everybody who's curious, wants a little bit more context for the the lovely Melissa Hersey. Uh, but Melissa, let's keep going because we have a lot to, to dig into here. Talk to me about the most unusual item in your camera bag uh, that, that helps you be a little bit better photographer. Uh, I feel like this is a total dud answer because I hear so many amazing ones from, was it Chip the other day who had super glue or something? I was like, oh, I <laughs> yep. don't have anything awesome <laughs> like that. I'm stocking up my bag now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, at the moment in in Australia, Perth, I have Nikon in my bag, which is unusual because <laughs> it seems to be everybody's moving to Sony yeah. or the Canon. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess that's a little bit unusual for me at the moment to be a Nikon. What what camera bodies are you shooting with? Well, that's probably also a little bit unusual. I just shoot with two D750s. Like they're light, they're easy, the files yeah. aren't too big, yeah. too unwieldy, and I love them. And, and that, I guess that's my most unusual thing is that I have like a 30-year-old 50mm 1.8 prime nice. in my bag, yep. and I use it all the time. Mm-hmm. I love it. It mm-hmm. cost me like $100 like 20 years ago. Yeah, sometimes it's just about knowing how to use the tool, right? Yeah, and it's, you know, like I think, what I don't need to spend that money on new gear. This is a beautiful lens. Yeah. Obviously, if it stopped working properly, I would spend it on new gear. But no, but it really it, just having that perspective. We talk about perspective. The perspective really is everything. And um, I, I mean, I can still. I'm sounding like the old person now, but I still think back to when I was shooting <laughs> weddings full time, and my first digital camera was a Nikon D1X, and it was less than six megapixels, and yeah. the the dynamic range was terrible. So you need blow highlights. But that that image, and I, I think maybe I've told this story uh, some time ago on the podcast, but at one point, an image that I'd photographed a bridal session with got uploaded. We, we used to use Pictage as our online gallery when they were still a thing. And that so the image that I exported, I think at maybe a 10 quality from Photoshop or an 80% from Lightroom, that got exported. So now it's it's already been compressed as a JPEG. And, and then further compressed. And then it was uploaded to the online gallery. It was further compressed for that purpose. I downloaded that image 
and then sent that off and had a 20 by 30 print uh, made on a, like a textured art paper. And it printed yeah. beautifully. I mean, just gorgeous. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. And and here we are with, you know, 30 and 40 megapixel cameras and, yeah. and the, the high dynam- dynamic range and, and all the features that come along with it. And it's wonderful, to be clear. I, I mean, I, I think technology is a lot of fun. But the reality is that we don't have to have the latest and the greatest and the best in order to make something happen if you just know how to use the tool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, I mean, having said that, I do love a high dynamic range that I can oh, pull yeah. back shadows and highlights. But sure. yeah, it's, you know, it's having the skills on how to shoot a wedding day as well. You know, like I've got friends that are landscape photographers. I We're not interchangeable. You know, like it's, I can't go do their job. They can't come and do mine sure. without a lot of practice. Sure. Well, I, I, we're going to we're going to jump from uh, one, maybe not so touchy topic. I, I think the, the choice of Nikon versus Canon versus Sony may be slightly touchy. I, I'm, I'm definitely a Nikon fanboy. I, sh- I shot Nikon my whole career and and really love the particularly the ergonomics, the layout of the, of the buttons and functions. But regardless, we're going to move from that to a, a, an interesting topic, which is pricing. And we haven't talked a whole lot about this and particularly about actually that the idea of potentially lowering prices. Uh, before we get into the details of that, though, Melissa, I'd love for you to just give us some context. So you've been at, how, first of all, how long have you been in business at this point? Uh, Eleven years. I started in two thousand and eight. Awesome. That that's incredible. And and by the way, congratulations to you for that because not every business owner can say that. But talk to me about the range of prices that you've charged for wedding photography, from lowest to highest to, to where you are now. Okay, so I'm going to start with this, like with a massive proviso that this is just my experience and I know that I'm very lucky in the situation I'm in because I have dropped my prices and I'm much happier for it. Mm. So when I started way back when, I charged $850 and photography wasn't my main job and I just loved it and I was like, yeah, I'm going to start this business and I'm going to do this and that's where I sat. And then I think, you know, a fair few people sort of start like that and then although you did way better um, than i did i started at i think 350 so you, yeah. you had a leg up <laughs> yeah. but oh that's australian dollars so it probably was 350 us dollars <laughs> and then at my highest i was up at about six and a half okay um and now i sit around between three and four with a few outliers so talk, I, talk to me. Let's go back to the 850, though. How did you land on that yeah. starting price when you launched your business? How did you pick that number? <laughs> poorly. Poorly. <laughs> I, I basically plucked it out of the air because it was a hobby business. I hadn't sat down and thought about what I needed to earn in a year. I hadn't sat down and thought about what expenses were in running a photography business. And I really didn't sort that out for a few years. And then when I did sort it out, I was like, how ridiculous to just pull the number out of the air. <laughs> And just to give context, I mean, you mentioned uh, or you alluded to the the dollar difference, Melissa. Eight fifty right yeah. now is five seventy seven US dollars. Yeah, and I guess the market's different too, and sure. the economy has changed as yeah. well. Like when I started, the economy in Perth was booming, whereas the economy is not so great now. So even that makes a difference in thinking about your pricing too. Mm-hmm. So, but with that with that starting price, though, was it just kind of like pull the number out of thin air because you didn't at that point understand the significance no. of looking at expenses and this kind of thing? How did you land on it? Yes. So I basically Googled. I Googled other photographers that seemed to be relatively new, saw what their, if they had pricing on their website, sort of had a look at that, roughly went, 
uh, yeah, four or five, consider my hourly rate as a physical therapist, what would I roughly probably want to earn about the same? Maybe this will be right. And little did you know all that was behind that, right? No, not at all. Hadn't even thought about that, (laughs) which I would hope that if I had started it as a business straight up to be my main earning thing that I would have done that better. Mm. But I don't know. Hindsight's 2020. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we're going to actually talk about kind of the top ideas that you wish photographers would consider when they're setting their prices. We'll we'll get to that here in just a second. But um, so you start at 850. After some time, you begin to raise your prices. Why, Why did you begin to raise those prices? And actually, for further context, how long did it take you to begin raising your prices? So I raised my prices every season when I first started. And I did that, I guess, really in response to supply and demand in that I got lots of inquiries. I didn't want to do that many weddings per year. I thought, okay, I can probably up my prices and still take, you know, as many as I want. In that I've been lucky that I pretty much have always, except for this brief period where I went too high, turned down more weddings than I take. So I sort of put up my prices with supply and demand. Then when I had the kids and stopped working as a physical therapist, I sat down and I did it properly. I looked at what I needed to earn. I looked at what I spent in a year on my business and went, okay, so I'm spending X amount on my business. I need to earn Y. I only want to do 25 weddings. How much do I need to charge per wedding Mm. to make the money that I need? And isn't it funny too, like how simple that actually is? I mean, we, we complicate the conversation about pricing a lot as photographers, how much do I charge? And I don't, I don't feel like I'm worth it. And and all these conversations that are really, frankly, in many cases, just irrelevant. We, we have, if we're going to do this for a living, if we're going to do this professionally, we need to make money. It's just numbers in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe it might be that, okay, I'm not at that school level to charge what I need at the moment. So I'll also take a casual job one day a week or actually I'm going to have to do an extra five weddings a year than I thought I was going to, or, you know, like that those things come into play, but yeah, I mean, you need a certain amount to live. And so you've got to earn that. That's, well, and, but the interesting thing, even about the conversation around pricing ourselves based on our experience level, I, I, to be clear, I understand where people are coming from with this. And I certainly kind of increase my prices or our prices, we increase them as our experience grew. But the, the irony in that is a lot of the apprehension about what people will think about us if we charge, quote, too much for our experience level is really actually based in what we think photographers, our peers are going to think about us. And not yes. what the market is going to think about us. Because the market doesn't know that we've only been shooting for X amount of time. They're going to see our work. They're going to meet us. And they're going to make a decision about whether or not to, to hire us. Um, many times it's, it's largely that, that simple. So uh, I think that's kind of, and again, it's a bit entertaining. I mean, I, I can say this also in hindsight, uh, having been a photographer for a decade and, and then also looking at the way that the industry behaves. A lot of these conversations are way overcomplicated at the end of the day. Sure, we have to be aware of our market, and actually, I'm glad that you bring that up, Melissa, because that is it plays a significant role or should in our pricing. But outside of that, we need to make a living, and there are certain numbers that yeah. we need to bring into our bank account at the end of the month. And in order to do that, we need to to charge X amount and shoot X number of portrait sessions or X number of weddings, and it's as simple as that. Yeah, it's I agree. So you you began to raise your prices, but then the results that you got from raising those prices, you said you were up uh, as high as about six k. What were the results from that? Because I I know from previous conversation that they weren't actually the results you were expecting. No. And look, it was 
great. I did make more money. I don't know if I actually made a better hourly rate though. So what I found when I went, so I sort of went up higher on supply and demand, and, but then I did a big jump at one stage after I had a few sort of vendors go, oh, you're so much cheaper than I thought you were going to be or and a few clients, potential mm. clients say that too and I was like, oh, okay, I'll go up. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, like oh, I'm not a fantastic photographer. I'm not like a brilliant photographer. I'm a good photographer who's a good people person who runs a good business and looks after people but I'm not like a brilliant photographer. So I went up and I got a lot more stress because previously I'd get an inquiry, I'd send them my little email spiel, they'd come and have a chat and I would convert oh, like nine out of ten inquiries and oh, that I wanted and I could also turn down people that I knew we weren't going to be a good fit that and that I couldn't give them what they wanted for their wedding. Sure. So that I was getting clients that we were a good fit. So they were happy. I was happy. The day went really well. Like we all kind of meshed. Because I was converting less because I was potentially more expensive or more expensive than my photos warranted, I stressed out more and I would take bookings that normally, that previously I would have turned down, that I would have gone, actually, I don't think we're going to be a good fit. Ah. You'll get a happier outcome if you look for someone more like this. So I was, and then I found that when you move up into what was a higher price bracket sure. for Perth, is that you end up doing a lot more work. There's a lot more because suppliers want images, but they want them edited differently. Um, you do more admin work because there's a lot more planning with what's happening, you know, families and can be more wanting a different level of editing than I was offering as my business. So I found that I was doing those things to keep people happy and then I've gone, I've done this extra work. So, you know, like my hourly rate, even though my prices went up, my hourly rate didn't really and I felt a lot more stressed. I, I wasn't enjoying it and I was like, this is why people leave the industry and I didn't want to. Yeah, because you're doing something that you're, you're not enjoying anymore. Yes, yeah, and for the prime thing for me was that if I'm going to leave my family on the weekend, I want to enjoy it. And, and, I'm, and I'm fortunate to be able to say that because I know there's loads of people that have to go to work regardless. Sure. But I was like, well, I can, I'm in charge of pricing. What about if I drop it and go back to it being how I liked it and then I've actually picked up one day a week as a physical therapist again? Interesting. So you were willing to actually to, to make less money and even have to supplement your income as a therapist in order to shoot the stuff that you wanted to, to work with the people that you wanted to. Yes, definitely. And it's, my business has gone back to being exciting and I'm loving it again. And also the fact that well, weddings are weekends, right, mainly. That's, and my kids are now both at full-time school. So if I wanted to earn that money that I needed, I would have had to do more weekend weddings, which means less weekends with them. So if I do one day a week, which is on a Friday as a, a physical therapist, then I don't have to do as many weekends. So I, I'm loving the balance at the moment. So what, what would you, I mean, the idea that, that you're able to charge more, do you think, because I wonder about this, I had the opportunity as a wedding photographer to shoot Weddings, as I mentioned earlier, starting at $350 all the way up to $10,000 for an event. And you do wow. work with a, a wide range of, 
of clients and at certain levels of demand, and they can kind of fluctuate. And actually, my experience was uh, as we went up higher, and in many cases, it was actually less demanding because it, it seemed like we were working with people that had enough money. They were used to the idea of just handing money over and expecting the, the job to get done. And there wasn't yes. this, this micromanagement. But I wonder if that was going even slightly maybe slightly higher in the price point that we got to those clients. Do you think that you were kind of in an in-between stage with, with, you know, shooting at that maybe five or six K level? Potentially. Do you think potentially that your higher clients were coming through like wedding coordinators or stylists and stuff that kind of made it run smoothly for you? Yeah, that, that could be it as well. That's an interesting point. But if I look at, so I, you mentioned, let's, let's, I'm just going to type in here. I've literally got my phone out. Australian, so 5,000 Australian to US, uh, that equates to about $3,300, $3,400 US, which would put, you know, and I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but about 70, between 70 and 80% of the weddings photographed in the US are shot for about two grand and below. And then the next yeah. 10%, uh, 10 to 15% are that two to four range. And then the top 5% or so, 5 to 7% is above the four grand. And, yes. and it's interesting how, uh, in some cases, if you were to shoot a, a lower price point wedding, and, and they, there may not be quite as much of a sense of demand from the, the client who feels like they're spending way and above their, their means, and they're yes. trying to just get as much possible, to squeeze as much possible value out of you as the wedding photographer. But if you bump that up another a thousand or two thousand dollars, now you may be working with a client who is maybe kind of pushing their budget a bit, and they're trying to get as much possible value, and they become more demanding, and it becomes a more stressful client to work with. Yes, yeah, I think also is that it's probably something that's relevant to me and my company that you know that relaxed, casual, and intimate. Yeah, vibe that I love isn't necessarily at the lower or the higher price point. It tends to be the middle ground. So people that want to have a really nice wedding, photos are important to them, happy to spend money on it, but it's not like a sole focus. Like most of my weddings now are, they're beautiful and the people or everything looks amazing, but I honestly don't think my bride and groom would mind if it hadn't worked out because they were there to, they're there to celebrate with their family and friends and they want me to capture that mm. and they want some nice photos, Yeah, but it's not, it's not their prime focus. Interesting. Their, their wedding photography is not their prime focus. They, okay. their prime focus is celebrating their wedding with their loved ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to, I have to say though, that as a kind of a caveat to that, you're photographing beautiful weddings and, and your work is beautiful. And for those of you listening in again, if you go to Melissa's photography, Perth, and we'll link to this in the show notes, uh, at bocapodcast.com, you can see Melissa's work and it's, it's quite lovely. Um, so despite the fact that you, you may have lowered your, your price point, the work that you're still able to capture is, is wonderful. And, and part of that, that obviously speaks to your talent as a photographer. But let's talk about this on a very practical level. I mean, it's, it's not the norm for photographers to consider lowering <laughs> their price point, right? Um, they're, they're usually kind of striving to raise it in some form or fashion, which I get. But you know, the reality too is that, and again, especially in the US market, a vast majority of the market simply can't afford a $5,000 wedding photographer. There is a huge yeah. amount of business out there for photographers who are willing to figure out a system, a workflow that enables them to shoot $2,000, $2,500 weddings, in some cases even less, and shoot, say, 50 weddings a year, but, but do it in a way that doesn't kill them 
and yet we'll give them the opportunity to build a, a really great business. So with, with that in mind, or that is just a little bit of context to the conversation, this idea of potentially lowering prices, what are the top ideas that you would say uh, that you would wish photographers would consider when they're setting their prices? I think you need, you need a really good sense of your ideal client okay. and then all about what, they, what they're prepared to spend and do on their wedding. So I had like a serious questionnaire after the wedding that I went through and said, what did you spend on your wedding? What were you considering for your photography budget? Did you go over or under budget to book with me? Um, what made you book me if I was outside your budget? Uh, like really getting an idea of of what my clients wanted and could spend because there's no point in me fulfilling what they want but then being way outside what they can spend yeah but i, I like that that one word data or or as you say data uh, i think it sounds better when you say it actually but <laughs> but being aware of of the data associated with an ideal client what our ideal client or a target client is that's so important awareness here that's literally the word that i wrote yeah. down as i'm taking notes is awareness we have to be aware of that target segment of the market that we're going after yeah and i guess that awareness is is point 2 for me as well in that you have to be aware of what you need you know, there's no yes. point going, oh, I want to shoot at this price range and then having to do 400 weddings a year when you only can fit in 40. Yep. You know, that's an extreme example. But but it's a great point though. You need, yeah. Yeah, you need to say so for me, I like to do 20 to 25 and a couple of times I've done 30 because we wanted to put a deck around the pool or we wanted to do this <laughs> or we wanted to do that. Yep. <laughs> no, it's so it's so true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I was like, okay, well, yes, we want some extra money. So, yes, I'll sacrifice an extra. Sacrifice sounds bad because I, I genuinely do love going to work, but I'll do an extra five weddings. Yeah, but but that comes back to the numbers like you were talking about earlier. It's just yeah. it's simple yeah, numbers at the end. We have expenses, we have income that we need to make a certain amount of income, certainly to cover the expenses, but then hopefully to have a bit left over, even to put a deck around the pool. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's great. But but you're, you're right, too, about the... I mean, when we talk about looking at having to shoot 400 weddings versus 40, or in, in your case, 25 weddings a year kind of being the ideal, there is, we may want to make a certain amount of money. This is something that I've talked about countless times at this point uh, around the topic of a big picture view or overarching goals that drive what we do personally, but also the business model that we create. We have to think about not only how much money we want to make, but then how much time we want to spend making that money. And that's yes. a really big factor as well. And so, yeah, 400 weddings a year and, you know, maybe you're bringing in half a million a year or whatever doing that, that sounds nice, but then you're also going to be totally burnt out and you're not going to have time for the important people in your life. So if you want to yes. make X amount of money, but then you only want to shoot 25 weddings a year because that is the amount of time you want to put into it, then you have to charge, you have to adjust the prices accordingly. And again, that's just simple math. We don't have to overcomplicate it. So this is good. So we start with awareness Thanks. of our ideal client, uh, and then awareness of what we need. Uh, what's the third one? The third one, so I feel like I've got lots of contentious things today, um, is that don't get too privileged in yourself. You, you know, it's, I, I some yeah, wedding photographers go, I can't believe they didn't want to spend this much on me. I'm definitely worth it. And then I think, yeah, you know, we do do something amazing to give people their wedding photos and that it does require you know, a decent amount of money because it costs us a decent amount of money to do it. But, you know, like when I think about my my physical therapy job and I think about the carers that I work with that are on 
not great wages and do so much hard work and I think, you know what, like I, I don't deserve a certain amount as a wedding photographer and I don't, I also don't feel like that I can say, oh, well, I'm spending 10 hours a week on marketing and social media and Pinterest, therefore I'll increase my price to my client to absorb that. You know, some of those hours of running a business are just hours that you've got to suck up for running a business um, or, or, or paying to outsource or whatever so that, you know, I guess set your pricing with intention but without privilege. Is that Oh, that was a beautiful summary. No, that's, that's a great (laughs) thing. Yeah. There's, I don't know if if this is the case in Australian culture In American culture, the the thing that just seems kind of endless these days, if you just jump on Facebook and look at what people are talking about, these words rights and deserve and, um, you know, talking, talking about how we're worth this thing and that I understand at least partially where that's coming from. I mean, there have been people in our culture in one form or another that have been mistreated. And, and as individual human beings, there is a certain, obviously, a desire to be treated with kindness and fairness and equality. That's a whole conversation, separate conversation in and of itself. But as, you know, as like you're saying, you, you use this word over and over again, as privileged individuals living in a first world culture, um, this idea that that we focus so much on what we, quote, deserve, um, I think is pretentious to say the least. And, and maybe reflects a lack of gratitude. I mean, I think it's interesting that you talked yeah. about the significance of gratitude earlier, and then you're backing that up here with the flip side of the conversation, which is let's not focus so much on, on what we deserve. Let's focus on serving and what we provide. And there's no question, again, we have to set that number of, of what we're looking for to, to, to cover expenses, to put in the bank, to put some money in savings, and you know, to, to spend a little bit of money for the sake of, of our family or relationships, go on a trip here and there, this kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But this idea that we, quote, are so deserving, I, it, honestly, it rubs me the wrong way, too. And I think a lot of that comes yeah. from not always having had a lot and being so thankful for what I do have. Also, the perspective you mentioned, Melissa, which is realizing how little a lot of other people have. Yes. Yes, definitely. And I think when you're only in the wedding industry, that can sometimes get a little bit lost or, you know, yeah. I mean, every, no, everybody has kindness and perspective in them. And sometimes you can just get a little bit, you can lose it for a minute when you're trying to build your business. And I think the other thing is that what makes it easier for me to drop my prices now is that I've been here for a while and I've, I've worked out that to stay for longer, I, I really do need to be happy and loving my work. And this lets the, the price that I sit in and the clients that I attract and love working with is what's going to let me keep being a wedding photographer. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, happiness over, over privilege, maybe that's too simplistic. Yes. Uh, it's, it, but it, it's a focus again on, I mean, all of this, it seems in your heart comes from a focus on, on service. And and ultimately a desire to connect with your family and you're you're you've created a business model that supports both of those principles, those ideals, those values, really, at the end of the day. And I think that's so so important. Um, okay, so we started with awareness of our ideal client, uh, awareness of what we need as as individuals, personally, professionally, the significance of not getting too caught up in privilege. And then I think you have a couple more. What what are those? Someone else talked about this on your podcast, and I cannot remember who, but. That you're not a lesser photographer for being cheaper or for taking a day a week somewhere else or for moving into, I don't know, real estate as well as weddings. Or You are still a great person for your business even if you don't feel like you necessarily have to get all your income 
from one type of photography mm. and to have that confidence to go, yes, I'm really comfortable with my photography and I'm constantly trying to improve that and my business trying to improve that. But I'm not any lesser for looking outside the box of, of constantly going upwards to be a more expensive and successful business person. Yeah, which, you know, I mean, it, that that conversation in of itself kind of speaks to insecurity, it seems. You know, that's this idea that we associate yeah. a, a, a value or a dollar amount uh, associated with our work, what we're charging, how that is somehow directly correlated to, again, going back to this word of worth, this idea, we're worth more. Uh, well, we realize the significance of wedding photography, as you pointed out, Melissa, and, and nobody's really actually questioning your value as an individual. So is this really yeah. a question about your worth or is it more a question of your insecurity for some reason? And maybe that's a deeper issue that needs to be addressed. But um, I, I love that you highlight this. And I think it's funny that how you want to value your life, which seems like such a big philosophical thing, you can almost bring back to what you set your prices for your business like it's funny but if you if you look at that hard if you go my ideal client is this my ideal business setup is this this is the way that I want to spend my time then once you've got that down it's very easy to do your prices from there well and it goes back to the idea again of, of being very clear about what it is that that you want out of life which should then translate to the yes. business model that you create and of course, pricing and your target client clientele, those are two components Thanks. of that business model. But you got to be clear about what you want. And and that's where it starts. Just kind of diving yeah. in. I mean, th- to be clear, I understand and I've done it myself as an entrepreneur. Sometimes you just kind of go for it and you don't know exactly what you're doing, but you go for it because you, yeah. you know yeah. you at least want to do this thing. I get that a lot of people will do that. But at the end of the day, even if that's what you did initially, taking time and, and taking step back and looking at what it is you're actually trying to accomplish with your personal life, letting that affect the business model, the, the prices that you're charging, and of course, naturally, the, the clients that you're going after, that's really, really important. But it starts with why uh, or maybe what yes. or, or some combination of, of the above. And that's really important to know. But yeah, don't let your worth be tied up in the price point that you're charging. That's just a it's yeah. it's a it's a very insecure way to go about looking at at yourself as an individual. And and that that's a whole conversation for another day, and probably with a psychologist. But um, <laughs> yeah. these are important principles to remember. And I really appreciate you making time to to share all of these with our listeners, sharing your experience with our listeners. And 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 you know what? I have to say again. I love your energy. I mean, it comes through in your voice, in the conversation. Your intention comes through very clearly and beautifully. And, and I really appreciate you make, making time to, to share all of that with the Boca podcast. And to that point, actually, will you just remind our listeners where they can find you online, your website and social media? Yeah, definitely. So I'm melissasphotography.com.au for the website. And then I'm Melissa's Photography Perth for the Instagram. And I wanted to say to you, thank you so much. It's I've loved being on here, but more so I've loved listening. I love listening to your podcasts sometimes because I come away with awesome actionable things like I went with Karen from Photo SEO Lab. But a lot of the time I just come away thinking I'm going to do better because of what Nathan and who he's spoken to this week has made me think about. So thank you. Mm. 
Well, I, I'm gonna. Uh, you you can't see the tears happening here behind the screen because <laughs> uh, we're just audio. But um, I, that means a lot. And and ultimately, if if we're in some way through this podcast adding value, um, I'm I'm happy. And that that is our primary goal. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks for for joining us today, and thank you all for listening in. Again, make sure that you go to the podcast show notes. If you go to Boca B O K E H Podcast dot com. You can see the resources uh, that we discussed today, uh, the links, and then also the talking points uh, for today's conversation as well for this episode and others if you just go to bocapodcast.com. Thanks again, Melissa. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.